In this episode of Investors and Operators, we're going to learn about Edward Crawford, co-founder and president of Kotala Holdings, a Texas-based private equity holding company. His career has taken many different paths, starting with the Peace Corps in the Dominican Republic, Goldman Sachs, serving as a Navy Intel officer, deploying to Latin America and Afghanistan, then coming back to Goldman Sachs, and finally starting Kotal Holdings. There's a lot of ground that we're going to cover today. Uh, start off with Edward. Did I get that right on all that background? R Roger that. Bit of an ADD. <laughs> uh, a lot of different stuff, but that, yeah, <laughs> you got it right. In studying your your crazy interesting background i think one of the first questions that i had was what drew you to serving in the peace corps are there any particular experiences that really kind of stood out from that experience yeah yeah so my my grandfather um, escaped from from austria before crystal night uh, before the holocaust and he had served in the military my other grandfather was navy and my dad served in the military and uh really loved this country and what it's about coming from a grandfather that was an immigrant, just really loved America. Um, and kind of what he loved about America was this kind of value system and this, you can you can really be something here. And uh, so I wanted to serve my country. And that combined with a strong Christian faith of just serving others and, you know, showing that we are Christians through our love um, and service was something I felt passionately about. And so serving those less fortunate thought was a great way um, to really start a career after college. I thought if I served first, then it would always be part of my life as opposed to waiting to serve um, one day or putting the money before service. So you went down the Dominican Republic and can you talk about your experience down there with Peace Corps? Yeah, yeah. So it was a, a crazy experience. It, um, I lived in a small shack and uh, at one point I'd lost 50 pounds. I, I contracted uh, had uh, dengue and also uh, amoebic dysentery, which is not fun. I don't recommend it unless you really <laughs> weight loss program. Um, but, uh, but just, you know, went through some, some tough times. Uh, you're, you know, I was alone. And so emotionally a lot of ups and downs. Um, but, uh, the community really came to my aid and, um, and really we built trust just through, through working together. And I think they saw I was there and that I really cared. And, um, so we started a little cooperative, a coffee cooperative with a, a few farmers, um, with the objective of putting more coffee trees in the mountains. There's a lot of soil, uh, erosion there. Most of the border of Haiti is actually turned into desert from tropical rainforest into desert. Um, and uh, coffee is a, a tree that grows for 40 years under shade, produces for 40 years, but it's a long-term investment, right? And so we wanted to try to get a better price. So we got a micro rotating lending fund for the co-op. Um, and uh, we got organic certification, which a lot of them couldn't even afford chemicals. So uh, we got organic certification and pooled resources so we could sell the coffee at a better price, get better lending, and, uh, and, and really help with the, uh, the environment and keeping the soil in the mountains uh, and kind of a long-term portfolio. So you can have mangoes in May, you can have avocados in October, and you can grow other stuff around coffee, but you've got a, you've got a crop every year as opposed to corn, which you cut down, sun touches the soil, um, and it, it just turns to dust and forever the soil forever falls from the mountains. So... Did they just like, you're going to the DR, here's where you're going, you're going by yourself, here's a backpack, and like, did you have a mission, or like, what was, what, so did you know you're getting yourself into? No, but yeah, the, the Peace Corps, so the Peace Corps put, sets you with, a, with a, a partner in the community, right, and you generally have a project. In this case, I had, I had a project, and um, without going into detail, it didn't work that well. 
Um, so started, they, they also, you also do a study, you meet with like, you know, 150 people in the community and you I'd had a little Excel document and a little pad and pen and interviewed all these people and said kind of, what are the needs in the community? And I realized that a lot of them were living very subsistence farming. They used to grow coffee and they loved the days when they grew coffee, but the prices were tough. The lending was tough. Um, and they weren't, they, they weren't growing coffee that much anymore. And so we ended up getting the gov- some government to help. Um, so we planted around 2 million trees ultimately. I found through that study that coffee was something that they felt passionately about that could be a sustainable long-term kind of portfolio uh, approach to agribusiness in the community. And so that's where the idea came from. And then I read a bunch of books about coffee and tried to convince some guys to do it. It took a while. Wow. We could just spend a whole episode just going on that, but uh, let's go to like the, well, actually let's kind of dive a little bit deeper there. Cause it kind of talks about service. And I, I know you spent, you know, a number of years in the military and the Navy and with your time with the Peace Corps. And I've been thinking about this lately about uh, the idea of service and sacrifice. And I think right now, especially during, you know, a global and nationwide pandemic, economic crisis, we have this tendency to really pull back and focus on ourselves and focus on our family. And, you know, we need to be helping out other people. So I I want to talk a little bit about what service and sacrifice means to you and kind of how that idea has been shaped throughout your life and then maybe tying it to where we are today. Yeah, no, I think um, I think service is always important, no matter what. And it's 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 fascinating. You know, I was in uh, Dominican near Haiti, and and there was Haitians that lived in you know a little tin shack with a dirt floor and never even had a bed, right? Um, and I would wake up sometimes, and they would be over at my house with coffee and some bread, right? They were serving me, and uh, it just blew me away, kind of. Um, you know, how selfish I can be sometimes, but that the poorest of the poor were serving this gringo that's, you know, moved from America to help them. Right. Um, and so it really, you know, it doesn't matter where you are in life. There's always an opportunity to serve someone else and it makes your life so much richer. Um, and so I think it's tough when you're focused to your point on your family and you may have lost your job and you're in a difficult situation but I think it's always important to serve. And there's just so, it doesn't have to be big things. It doesn't have to be medium sized things. It's really the most important is that, that just daily commitment to, to helping others, even in very small ways, it really adds up. So. Do you have like a, a favorite quote or just a guiding thought that you've kind of had throughout your life? Yeah. So I think um, two that come to mind are um, Anne Frank, no one has ever been poor by giving. And I remember when I was going to the Peace Corps, I had a lot of kind of people, mentors that I talked to that said, why are you doing that? Why are you wasting two years of your life? And, you know, in some foreign country, different language, like, you know, you're not going to make any money. You're going to get behind. Um, and, and I really don't believe in that. I think nobody's ever be, become poor by giving. It's made my life so much richer. Um, and then the other one is, is really the Peace Corps motto um, that they adopted from Gandhi, but be the change you want to see in the world. I think there's, uh, with social media, it's, uh, it's just easy to talk. It's easy to tell other people, judge other people and talk and have this big microphone. But none of that really, you know, it doesn't really help unless you roll up the sleeves and go do something. And so um, that's, that's something, you know, I, uh, 
you know, felt like a lot of people were serving and getting killed. And that was a tough thing over in Afghanistan. And so I said, Hey, I'm going to go help there. Right. Um, there's a lot of poor people you know, throughout the world that need help. And so it's like, listen, I can talk about it or tweet about it, or I can just go try to spend some time. And so, uh, you know, where your, where your checkbook goes and where your calendar goes, I think are very big indicators of where your heart is. Um, and, uh, and so that, those are kind of some mottos that I think tra- have directed me over time to, to try to make the checkbook go towards those things. And then also look at the calendar and be real and say, Hey, how much time am I spending helping other people, helping my family? Right. And how much time am I spending, you know, just for me. Right. Speaking of family, you have three kids and I was wondering how you try to integrate the principle of serving others into your family habits. And I'm, I'm working through that now. Like for example, my daughter and I just on our little walk to daycare, let's get a trash bag and let's just pick up some trash. And it doesn't matter if we get five pieces or 50, but it's the idea of taking care of your community. So I'm interested in how you've integrated service into your family life. Yeah, no, uh, no, I think it's super important at an early age. Um, I actually, um, do kind of date nights with my kids and we talk about, about a lot of this with my little girls and we go on dates together to show them how they're supposed to be treated. Um, and, uh, and one of the things I did last year was I took, um, Caroline to the Dominican Republic and, uh, we served with the kids and we, you know, went to the little church and went to the little community and kind of showed her how the, you know, the other half lives. We send, um, a uh, little girl to college um, and then a little boy to college. Actually, if you see it in this picture in the background, uh, yeah. my shoulder, that little boy, his name's Joseline, but we sent him to college. And so Caroline got to spend time with him and understanding that, Hey, this is somebody we helped go to college in Dominican. So trying to get them those experiences is really important. Um, and then, uh, you know, serving in the church and that sort of thing as well and serving each other. But yeah, it's, um, they follow we're, we're examples as parents and so we can say a lot of stuff, but unless we're doing it, our kids are, you know, are not going to do it. So can you talk a little bit about your experience in the Navy and just when did you join and what exactly was the timeline with Goldman? I think it overlaps. And so how did you have these two jobs at once? Yeah, so, no, I joined, uh, I joined the Navy Reserves. So I went through an intelligence uh, program um, and, uh, and it's a direct commission officer program. It's a great program. Um, and went through that and, uh, and then started doing my two weeks a year. Right. Um, and, and, and weekends and while I was at, um, Goldman. So I started that, I got into that and then went and worked at Goldman. So I was kind of doing both. You know, I was in Miami for Goldman. So I'd see a lot of kind of Latin America. I was a member of council of foreign relations and so, and have a master's of Latin American studies. So it really you learn a lot about the region, but then also would go down there, you know, I'd go down to Guatemala um, and work with the Kai Beals, the special forces down there and uh, in Gua City and Antigua. Um, and so it was a neat um, opportunity to kind of have two different roles, but both somewhat focused on Latin America. So I was uh, in Sox South, Special Operations Latin America uh, is where I started. Um, and then ultimately had... Um, two friends that were killed uh, uh, in Afghanistan in extortion 17, uh, 2011. And so sat in that memorial service and kind of made the decision that I'm serving in Latin America, but I want to go help over in Afghanistan. Um, After watching, you know, all the men and women who had done seven, eight deployments and wanted to lend a hand. And so that's that, that moment was really kind of a gut check for me and wanted to, 
you know, go over and lend a hand, but also to your point with children, it was a tough, tough moment because I had a, a two-year-old, um, and ended up having a six day old son before I left. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of men and women who serve, but there's the spouse that's left behind with a lot of the hard work. Um, and really, you know, Mary, my wife is the one that, you know, I, I had a job, I knew what I was doing, but she, you know, she had two very small kids and nobody to help her out. Um, and, you know, no husband to help her out at home. So she was really, um, and a kid that was six days old. Yeah. Yeah. She's, uh, she, you know, he's born on D day, June 6. I'll never forget. And then, uh, left, you know, six or seven days later. Um, so she's, she's a true hero, true trooper. The notion of obligation. And I, I, I found being exposed to a lot of, uh, veterans over the past three years that there's a deeper connection with the idea of obligation. And, you know, from my background and, you know, people I've been exposed to in the finance community, uh, it's maybe, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself, maybe like a superficial sense of giving and a superficial sense of obligation, which is what I felt in the first maybe one or two years of, you know, being involved in veteran transition in like the past year, year and a half is when it became more of an obligation. But I was wondering how it's evolved for you and just kind of what that word, like how you can kind of um, dimensionalize that word obligation and sacrifice. Yeah, we, we have, you know, uh, we talk about it a lot, kind of the, the Navy values of honor, courage, commitment, and kind of duty and honor. Right. Um, and, uh, and we have a, I like to, you know, use the, use the phrase to whom much is given much is required. Um, and being born in an incredible country like this, um, and, uh, and having been given all this opportunity, uh, there's just a, you know, for a lot of military men and women, there's a duty to take care of what we've been given and pass it on to the next generation. Um, this country continues to get better in so many ways, has its missteps and has a lot of different faults. Um, but what it's what it stands for and being willing to, to die for that, once you've been in that chair, it's really hard to ever not um, feel a pride and an ownership and a duty uh, to your country, right? Um, and that's picking up trash on the streets. It's voting. It's paying your taxes as a, as a civilian. Um, you know, run war war veterans funds with some friends, and it's sending people that were in the military that would sign on the dotted line to die for this country to, to Congress, right? Um, so, so you know, I think that um, that duty or obligation, that sense of duty and obligation, is something that is very clear in the military and hard to beat out of you uh, if you've been in for a little while. Um, can you talk a little bit about Kotala and how you're integrating, you know, these principles of serving others into your, into your business? Because when people think about private equity, holding companies, investing in companies, they don't necessarily, I wouldn't say principles in the first top 10 might be serving others (laughs) or maybe just framing it that way. So I'd love to hear just kind of how you think about that and building Kotala. Yeah, yeah. So when Ralph and I got together to build the Kutala, Ralph and I are both um, faith-based guys, and uh, we said, you know, how can we make an impact? How can we kind of make the world better and and do have have a different model here? And so our model is that of a holding company, um, where we we acquire and operate and run um, businesses um, in partnership with the management, right, uh, for the long term, right. And we've looked at the segments we've gotten in and said, hey, you know, what are you know, what are areas that we you know, feel passionately about, right? Um, 
we're in a, a home health business right now uh, that takes care of elderly and actually takes care of hospice patients in the last phase of their life, right? Um, Very familiar that, with that. And, Two and, times. That, and that is an incredible, you know, this is the last phase of someone's life. And that hospice nurse that sits with that person is their best friend. And the last person they get to know in an 80-year life, 75-year-old life, my grandmother's 99. She's not gone to hospice yet, right? It's super, super important. And so to be able to support a business like that and these great you know, nurses, LVNs, um, therapists that are on the front lines during COVID doing this work is something we just feel passionate about. And so we, you know, that that's our, you know, we're not getting shot at. We're not um, in Afghanistan or in the Peace Corps or any of this kind of stuff now, but we feel like we're making an impact there. We run a, um, an HVAC business um, that has, uh, that has, um, techs all over DFW. We have four businesses in, in Dallas, Fort Worth, right. Treating people well in their homes that are worried about getting COVID, um, whose HVAC went out and they have one unit and they've got all their kids at home and it's sweltering hot and fixing that quickly and, you know, being respectful and wearing a mask. That's super important to us. And then I would say the, the last thing is, you know, the leaders of the businesses and the, the ones that's interesting, we attract leaders and we look for leaders that are servant leaders. And in both these businesses, we have two individuals that just put others first, are on the front lines. They talk about be the change you want to see in the world, just authentic, principled uh, leaders. So um, we really, I mean, you know, some private equity folks um, just do transactions and, um, and we operate businesses and we love working with the teams and we take it very seriously and we're passionate about it. And, and frankly, we love it and we have a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. um, so the daily challenges of these businesses and, and instead of um, kind of a, a phrase from the shop floor to the boardroom, people build businesses, right? So we're here to support um, and we just feel really good about that, um, that support and guidance position. How has your ego evolved i don't mean ego in a negative way but as a just the concept of it how has your ego evolved over your your life and career yeah so so um as with any person that tries at leadership you know ego and pride are the most dangerous things you can possibly have right and so you know throughout my career i've been beaten up and knocked down a lot and each each time i kind of learn each time you get knocked off the horse you learn a little bit a little bit more um, and I think, uh, I've, you know, over the last few years, um, you know, kind of John 30, 30, you must become more, I must become less. Um, so just really focusing on, Hey, we're uplifting our management team. Uh, we're uplifting the president of this business, not ourselves. Right. Um, we don't have to be the loudest voice in the room. Um, we're here to support, um, really becoming more of a, of a servant and, um, uh, subservient in any ways and a softer voice, um, is, is important. And I think, uh, my ego, I've been knocked down a couple times. Uh, Ralph, my partner and I both have, and, uh, we both had this discussion. We said, Hey, listen, we had these really difficult experiences. Um, because if we had just been successful, I don't know that either of us could have handled it. I think we would have thought it was all of us, all us. And, uh, and now, you know, um, from a faith perspective, we're both very cognizant that the the luck we've had in business and the good breaks we've had have been through through God and uh, and kind of you know how he's he's watched over us um, and then the grit and perseverance that we've had has been through the daily discipline of, of praying and asking others for help. So there's been 
so many people that have helped us along the way that um, we really don't have a lot of ego in it. And um, I look back to when Drew Brees got his award for, I think it was the most passes. And he went and, and wrote a letter to everybody who had caught a ball, had run through the end zone and said, hey, this is your award. You took the licks. You got it in the end zone for me. Right. And I think both Ralph and I look at, at, at life and what we're doing that way um, in, you know, trying to become less and have others become more. Did you ever struggle with that, um, that transition of I am focusing on others? It's not about me. Yes. And, uh, and actually have read a lot about um, pride and ego. There's a book called The Ego is the Enemy. That's a fascinating book. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's an incredible book. And uh, if you look at a lot of great leaders. Ryan Holiday. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They, 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 they fizzle out, they fall. I mean, the Napoleonic complex is like a complex, right? You think you're so great and da, 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 then it all comes crashing down. And so really su sustainable success, you have to be able to swallow your own ego and lead and understand that, you know, in my case, um, there's just so many people that are better at better than me at a lot of things and to seek their counsel, help guidance, um, as opposed to trying to do it myself. Right. And so that, yeah, that transition, um, is tough. You want to control things. You want to be in charge. Uh, and, um, and that's not always the best way. And in my case, definitely isn't, isn't the best way. So making um, room for others is very important. No, it's, um, no, I've been thinking a lot about that lately and just, you know, putting my ego to the side and it's not about me and it's, um, and focusing on others. And I've seen it in the past month with our team and just focus on developing them and yep. training them because where we're at with our business, it was so much me doing content, me coming up with the ideas, but that's not how you build a business. And so yep. I had to really shift the mindset to focus on how can I, how can I develop them? But I think the better way to phrase it is serving them because it, it creates a different dimension to it where it's you're you're giving to them it's not development seems like you're still trying to get that return on investment type of mentality yeah, yeah. um you're not top you, training them you're you're assisting and and serving them right and that, that's a great way to do it um we have a leader of one of our hvc businesses and he's you know roll up your sleeves he's really that way and he's um He's been an inspiration to, to us and kind of how to lead. He's got, you know, soft demeanor, humble approach, but he gets stuff done. Everybody's accountable, um, but he has that kind of servant way about him. It's really refreshing and it works. In, in your profile, you were talking about one of your specialties being Kaizen. And it makes me wonder, how do you think that you have continuously improved over the, over the past six months of this crisis? And what does the best version of you look like? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I think um, ways I've tried to improve, um, one of them is kind of setting ego aside and, and, and building the team. Um, another, I've, I've read a lot of um, stoicism recently, uh, Seneca, Marcus Aurelius, and really, really emotional control and self-mastery. Um, if you can't master yourself, it's hard to master other things, right? And so when you're in, um, when you're in kind of entrepreneurship mo mode and business building mode, there's a whole host of emotions, right? And you can't always get control of all of those, right? But trying to look at things emotionally and not, um, I'm sorry, logically 
and set the emotion aside um, has been something that I've really tried to work on um, in, in a time where, you know, a lot of people are upset. A lot of people are angry. A lot of people are offended. Right. And uh, you know, um, there's a Bible verse that says, you know, a wise man gives full, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. And so whether it's looking at a legal document and saying, Hey, that doesn't exactly work out in my favor. Um, uh, I can be offended at the other side, or I can say, Hey, look, let's have a conversation and see what the other side really means. Right. Just simple things like that has really helped me improve uh, personally uh, for our business. We do AARs or after action reports. Um, and we go through and say, you know, we may have been successful at a, a transaction or a business deal or something like that. But instead of saying, Hey, we did, we look at all the things we did wrong. And then we Kaizen that we said, okay, how can we do this better? right? Um, how can we make a term sheet better? You know, we got off to a rocky start with a management team at one point in time. And so we said, hey, let's build a, a management team expectation document. Instead of having it be top down, let's have the president or CEO of the business have a role in building this document with us so that when we work together, right, we know where we stand. We know what we're, and the first thing we say in that is, this is what Katal is responsible for. This is what you can expect from us. And is there anything else you would, you would like us to do as part of this relationship, right? And so that came out of just, you know, a rocky start and continuous, continually improving. We work with a guy named Damon Baker, um, former Danaher, um, and just very humble approach, very Socratic, but constantly improving every single day. Um, and that's where, that's, you know, the word Kaizen is incredible, um, and if you look, it comes from the Japanese. Um, if you look at the Toyota production system, just a little bit better every day. Uh, another one I grew up on is the Suzuki method of violin. Um, my little brother is one of the top cellists probably in the world. He played at Juilliard and he actually plays the 200 year old cello that my grandfather brought over from Austria when he escaped. Um, and he, Suzuki, Dr. Suzuki says, practice only on the days you eat. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just a little incremental every day and so john henry um he saw hillary hahn uh he's pretty famous do a hundred day practice challenge you know on online and video it every day and he said wow what if i did a thousand day practice challenge and i believe he's on like 960 or something like that right but the discipline and grit to just get a little bit better every day has made him one of the best cellists there are um, and so that's what we are all focused on at Katala is that daily, just a little bit continuous improvement, both in the business world, but also personally, Ralph and I, you know, we pray together. Um, we work on personal development together. We go to conferences together. We give each other radical candor, right. Um, when, you know, and I'll ask, Hey, I think I screwed that up, Ralph, <laughs> you know, and he goes, yeah, you kind of did, you know, and vice versa. So it's, it's, um, because we both have that ethos, uh, we're able to, no matter where you start out, if you're getting a little bit better every day, you'll get somewhere. So maybe kind of the, the last thing that was uh, what I was curious about is what advice do you have for transitioning veterans, especially in today's market? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, first of all, today is a difficult market and don't want to minimize that at all. Right. Uh, you've got a, uh, big, big amount of unemployment, but I would say, you know, find organizations that you, that have a mission that you are interested in, right? If there is not a mission, if this is me personally, but if there's not a mission, I think it's very difficult to work within that organization for long. So I'd find that 
and then use the kind of constant the grit that we learn in the military, the sh showing up every day and doing the PT and, and, and never quitting, use that grit, that perseverance, and frankly, that relentlessness to go after those opportunities. And that the whole Wayne Gretzky, you miss every shot you don't take, like go for it. And I've had, you know, I've had veterans beat my door down and say, Hey, I, you know, I, I want to talk to you about this and I want to get in this industry. And I'm like, you know what? Okay. You got here somehow you showed up, here's two intros and you know, some of it's work, some of it hasn't, but if, you know, if you build a list and you focus on it and you're relentless and you're, I would, I use the term pleasantly persistent. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't want to go around having everybody think you have PTSD or you're going to, you know, beat them up or, or, or something if, if they don't give you a job, but informational interviews and being pleasantly persistent with those, those groups and organizations where you really want to be in. I think that's really important. Um, in this market right now, I'd say in a, in a more friendly market, I would say, look for a training program as well. And I've done a few talks about that, but you know, some organizations will hire a veteran just because it's a Navy SEAL and I'm going to put you in the accounting department and you, you'll crush that because you crush everything. No, no, no. Doesn't have a background in accounting. Not a good fit. <laughs> right. Um, so, so I think, uh, don't know where to start. Like yeah. they're three months out and like, I have no idea where I even start. I want to go into finance. Sounds cool. But how, what are some things that some questions and like the decision-making process or just a place to start? Yeah. And, and listen, I, I think this is going to sound boilerplate, but I do think going to an MBA program or some type of transition program is, is really, you know, really helpful because it gives you a wide swath of what's in there. If you've been in the military for 15 years and then you go and you, you don't know the difference, you know, you know, and I didn't know this uh, um, when I went through, but, um, you know, consulting, finance, you want to be an operator. Where do, what do you want to be? And so I think getting experience of an MBA, being able to see a lot of businesses is, is great. Um, and then looking at a lot of the, the, Specific training programs. Goldman has the the um, VIP VIP program. Um, I know that GE has a program, a uh, uh, junior officers program. And so there's, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of that out there. And so I think pursuing that is really important. Um, and then uh, and then there's a lot of trade schools too. Uh, there's a great trade school in um, in Dallas that we partner with called Tracom Training Command. It's run by uh, uh, former. Um, uh, army guy uh, and good friend of ours um, who went to West Point and they bring a lot of you know they're looking for a GI Bill and former military to go into that program Tra training command is like a combatant command um, would be a good guy for you to meet but they, they uh, they're focused on that and getting into the trades and you can do great in those businesses too so that's awesome we have covered a ton of ground um, what do you think the next couple of years looks like for for you and Kotala and kind of what are you most excited about? Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about growing our businesses and seeing what impact they'll make. Um, it's already been, been cool to see the, with, with the Kaizen process, they're getting just a little bit better each, each year. Um, and so excited about growing our firm and then, you know, bringing other like-minded people, uh, into the fray. Right. Um, uh, but we're a newer organization. Um, and so we are really excited about that growth. Um, and then excited about serving in the community and kind of the impact we're making in the community as well. Uh, we support Carry the Load, uh, which you may be familiar with. Uh, Clint no. Bruce has started that. So it's a Memorial Day organization. We actually carry packs with 60, 70 pounds each Memorial Day, uh, like we're carrying our brothers and sisters that we lost um, overseas. 
Um, so we support carry the load as an organization. We donate money. You know, when we get LinkedIn followers, we donate dollar for dollar those those dollars to carry the load. We also support in South Dallas um, an organization called Bonton Farms. It's an inner city uh, farm um, that's really helped a lot of individuals uh, through that community. Um, the guy who started that, a faith based guy, who really just invested in that area, um, and so excited to uh, to support that as well. Um, so just excited about uh, the growth of our business, who, what we support in the community, growing as individuals and, um, and having a lot of fun. How many years have you been married? 15 years. I'm hoping I'm doing like 75. So uh, do you think that you're a better husband now than you were 15 years ago? I think I'm a better husband marginally than I was 15 years ago. <laughs> but I, I'm at a 13 right now and I need to get to a 90. And so I'm, I'm working on it little by little. So, <laughs> man, this is awesome. Improvement. My wife's an amazing person, and uh, and uh, hopefully, I'll be half as good a husband as she is a wife one day. <laughs> this is great. Really appreciate the time with this. No, thanks so much, Jordan. Appreciate All you. Right.